Reading from the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I want to remind you of something that we heard a few weeks ago that I think is helpful. I think I want to read quite as much as I had on my sheet here, but this is what Paul wrote to the Romans church, the Roman church in Romans 10. Listen to this really closely. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Y'all know what that means, right? Maybe to declare with your mouth means to what? Speaking, but to declare something means you have an audience, right? It means that you own something as being true. And what is it that Paul thinks we should declare? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Have you ever wondered about that statement? Sometimes we call Jesus Lord and we say it like we're just kind of talking to somebody else, right? Calling our best friend. What if you started calling your best friend Lord? How would that change the relationship? What do you think? Or what if you started calling one of your enemies Lord? Would that change your relationship with them? They would probably start to abuse you and kind of take advantage of you, right? They would almost think you were giving them permission to do whatever they wanted, maybe. They would think that you were setting them up as someone who could rule over you. And that is exactly what the word Lord means. But if we take it in the context of someone who died for us, then Lord becomes a freeing term. Because we can expect a person who died for us, a person who loves us enough to die for us, we can expect that if we say to that person, you are Lord of my life, then chances are pretty good we can actually trust that person with our life. What do you think? Can you trust a person who's willing to die for you? I think so. 
So when we say Jesus is Lord, we are affirming that Jesus, the Son of God, the one that Paul has already said has done all these marvelous things for us in his letter, is Lord over us, which means he is master. That is what the word means. He is our master. He is the one from whom we take our cues. He is the one who directs us. And he goes on to say, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Have you ever believed something in your heart? Believing something in your heart is different than believing it in your mind, so to speak. It's different from arriving at a logical conclusion. Arriving at a logical conclusion doesn't inspire you. Arriving at a logical conclusion doesn't change your life. It's when something hits us at the, in the middle of the breath of our heart, in the middle of the very moment of our being, in the middle of everything from which all of us that, everything of us that is beautiful derives. When something affects us there, it changes the whole life. You've probably had those kinds of experiences. You've felt those moments of hope of the heart when you've held a child for the first time. You felt those moments of hope of the heart when someone has come home from deployment. You felt those moments of hope of the heart when maybe something bad that you thought was going to happen to you didn't happen. Believing that God raised Jesus from dead is that kind of moment of the heart. It's that kind of thing that momentarily takes our breath away when we realize that this thing is true. And so Paul says, if we believe that God raised him from the dead, if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, he says, we will be saved. Have you ever wondered what that word means? Saved. Does it just mean that we get to skip eternity in hell? It can't possibly just mean that. Because aren't we suffering here in this world too? <laughs> Seems to me this world has enough hell on its own to go around. It must mean something more than that. And Paul would go on in his teachings to teach us that it means being delivered from slavery to sin and death. Which brings us back to Peter. Peter made a confession last week. He said, you're the, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He spoke something with his lips that changed not only himself, but his relationship to Jesus. Before that, he had called Jesus rabbi, probably. He had called him teacher. But now in front of him is an opportunity to call him Lord because he has recognized who he is. It has been revealed to him by God that he is someone other than just another king in a long line of kings. He's someone other than just another prophet in a long line of prophets. He's something new and entirely different. He is the true son of a living God, not like Augustus, the one who said he was the son of a dead person who claimed, who was claimed to be God. And so Peter is faced with a new relationship. But he also had something said to him. He said, on this, I will build my church. And people wonder, was Jesus talking about Peter or was he talking about Peter's faith or was he talking about Peter's confession? And it could very well be that he meant all three things. But what happened there is that Peter was given some sense of authority. And now when Jesus says, I tell you now going from here that I'm headed to Jerusalem and I will suffer and I will be put to death. Peter decides to use his newfound authority to get in front of Jesus. 
You see, the place of someone who calls Jesus Lord is not in front of Jesus telling Jesus what to do. It's behind Jesus, imitating Jesus and doing what Jesus commands and says and invites us to do. Do you see the difference? But Peter has gotten in front. Never, Lord. This will never happen to you. Well, Peter has reason to say so. Being a good Jew, he is likely aware that what the scriptures seem to uphold is that the Messiah would never die. So it fits Jesus, uh, Peter's confession. Well, I won't be able to see the book anymore. It fits Peter's confession to say this will never happen to you. It fits his own scriptures in some ways of his understanding. But you'll also remember that later Jesus will open their minds to understand all of the scriptures and how they pointed to the fact that he must suffer and die. And that is the way that Jesus says this. He doesn't say, I go and do this of my own accord. He doesn't say, I'm going to do this because it's going to be a happy accident that God is going to fix. He says, I must, I must. Well, I'm going to have to get those so I can read it to you. Yeah, it had to happen on live TV. Listen to what Jesus said. He must go, what Matthew said, excuse me, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Do you hear that? He must go. It's part of God's plan, but Peter wants something different. I think that if we examine how we approach Jesus, it can teach us something about our relationship with Jesus and who Jesus is to us. Earlier in our service, the slide that was in front of you said, who do you say he is? And it says something different now. It says, do you want to follow him? We can come to the point where Peter was and we can say, I believe that this Jesus is the son of God. I believe that God did raise him from the dead. I believe all of these things. And yet we can hold back from saying that he is Lord. We can look at this Jesus and say, I believe that he has the power to free me from sin and death. I believe that he was sent to save the world. I believe. But I won't follow. In that case, what we are doing is using Jesus like a hammer. See, hammers are tools, right? They have a purpose. The purpose of a hammer is to drive a nail, right? The purpose of the nail is to hold your molding to the wall. If you mess up when you drive the nail, the hammer can also pull the nail. But by and large, its purpose is to drive a nail. Jesus' purpose is not simply to free us from hell. Jesus' purpose is not simply to be our Savior. Jesus' purpose is to be our King, to be our Lord, to govern our hearts, to govern us as a people, which means to inspire and lead and direct and command us. I always liked that Doobie Brothers song, Jesus is Just Alright. Y'all remember that? I like the breakdown in that Jesus, he's my friend. I love that, right? 
I love that hymn, What a Friend We Had in Jesus. And all of that is true. But dear ones, if we want the full measure of Christ, then we have to get behind him. We can't always stay in front of him, telling him what to do. Sooner and later, we have to subvert our own will and bow at his feet. But I'm going to tell you that it's hard. Because it affects all areas of our life. When we read about this Peter, it's easy at this point for us to forget that spending just a few minutes with this man was enough to convince him to leave his home, his work, and his family and follow Jesus, a homeless man, around Galilee. Isn't that profound? We can approach Jesus and say, I'll accept him as my Savior. We can approach Jesus and say, I'll accept him as, as a person that's here for me and my friend, and I can pray to him and he'll comfort my heart. But dear ones, if you want the true measure of grace, if you want your life to be changed by this Jesus, you've got to get behind him. That's the place of a disciple. That's hard, isn't it? Because we know what Jesus told us we must do to follow him. Take up a cross. Crosses today have become a fashion symbol. You can, you know, put one on a t-shirt, put affliction on it and sell a t-shirt for $900 or something. You can buy one made out of gold and wear it around your neck. But a person living in Judea in the first century would never have conceived of the idea of wearing a cross. A cross was shameful. A cross was a sign of Roman imperialism. It was a sign of Rome crushing the necks of their people. A cross was not a symbol of hope for them. An analogy would be as if they started selling little golden electric chairs down at K Jewelers and you could get one for your hubby and bring it home to him for Christmas. And we'll all walk around with Symbols of execution on our necks. Do you hear that? Jesus said, take up your cross. If anyone would follow me. If anyone would follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple. That's what he's saying there. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and get behind me. Come after me is what the Greek word translated follow literally means. Get behind me, Peter. Get behind me. Don't be a stumbling block. How do we apply that idea? I mean, honestly, if you look around right now, there are actually ongoing arguments about whether Christians can vote for one party or the other. It just makes my head hurt. How do we get ahead of all of that kind of stuff? It's really pretty simple. We ask the idea, are we willing to subvert our own will to Jesus or not? That's a simple question, isn't it? It's really a yes or no. Will I follow Jesus or will I do what I want to do? 
Sometime around 2000 or so, you might remember the WWJD bracelets became a big hit. You could buy them even at Walmart, I think. They were everywhere. And do y'all remember what that stood for? Somebody brave enough to yell it out? What would Jesus do? I remember thinking, that's pretty cool. I might have had one, but I never could get them to stay on because of the chintzy little buckles they had on. Remember that? I always knocking them off of me. But I thought it was interesting that I, when I got to seminary, there was some students there who were a little tiny bit arrogant who would always laugh at those. And they liked to kind of point out, well, what Jesus would do is go suffer, die, and be raised. Which is true, isn't it? That's true. He just said it. Right here. But you know, Jesus also gave us a pretty healthy list of ethical things that we should pursue. Didn't he tell us to go and feed the hungry? Didn't he tell us to care for those who have no water or no home? Didn't he tell us to love our enemies? Boy, that one sits in the mouth like a piece of cat poop, doesn't it? Love your enemies. Didn't he tell us to pray for those who persecute us? Going so far in one of the Gospels, I think, to say bless them? Didn't he tell us all of these sorts of things? Maybe that's what he meant by taking up our cross. Not being so concerned about our way or our way being right or our will or what we think should happen. But getting behind him and follow him and serving his concerns. It's hard. It's hard. You can get to the same place Peter was by the revelation of God. You can have God working in your heart right now saying to you, this is true. Jesus is my son. And I raised him from the dead. And you can get to the point where you accept that and affirm it. But if you want to be Jesus' disciple, the next step is getting behind him and seeking his will first. Seeking to understand who it is that he would have us be. I'm going to tell you that's dangerous. It put me in a place where I could no longer deny my calling to be a pastor. It put me in a place where I had to give up a career that I preferred. And it might do that to you. But don't you think that you will feel more free? Which is easier? To struggle or to give in to the will of someone who loved you enough to die for you? Do you think that you can trust him with your life? So the question that's in front of us is, okay, we've gotten to this point where we're willing to say to people, I believe that God raised him from the dead. I believe that he is God's son. Are we prepared to go the full distance and say Jesus is Lord? Are we prepared to go that full length and remember that when we came to be baptized, we were coming to die to ourselves and be raised to new life in him? A life that puts him first. A life that puts him above worldly gain. And that's at the crux of Peter's difficulty. 
Because what Peter wants is the same thing we would have wanted. He wants Jesus to storm Jerusalem and kick Pilate out. He wants Jesus to roll into Jerusalem and reestablish the kingdom and reestablish the throne of David and say enough of this Roman occupation mess. But the plan of God was something different. And so Jesus reminds Peter that the place of a disciple is behind the master, not ahead of the master. So dear ones, that's the next level. If you're in that place where you can affirm pretty readily that God raised him from the dead, you believe with your heart that that he is God's son, you're just right there. The next thing is answering this question. Do you want to follow him? Want is an operation of the will. It means that we're doing something that's driven in us by our own heart and our own desires. Is it your desire to follow Jesus wherever he goes? Because if that's true, then we follow him into baptism to die to ourselves and be raised to new life in him, which means we follow him to a place where we no longer care to gain the whole world but instead to serve the world with him. So the Son of God puts a question before you today. And it's a question that I'm going to give you a chance to answer. And those who are watching on Facebook, you can answer in the comments. You'll just have to type the word. But dear ones, In a simple yes or no answer. Do you want to follow him? Yes. Yes, Yes, I do. Do you want to follow him? Do you understand that it means getting behind him? And that, that might challenge some things that you hold dear but it'll be worth it. I promise you that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.